Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word. Join me in 2 Samuel chapter 16. 2 Samuel chapter 16, for the next little while today, we're going to look at a sermon entitled, Unforgettable Foes. Unforgettable Foes. If you were with us last Sunday morning, <clears throat> you remember that um, we looked at chapter 15 at Unforgettable Friends. So today we're going to look really part two of that at Unforgettable Foes. Follow with me in 2 Samuel chapter 16. This is a um, somewhat obscure passage of Scripture, but nonetheless it is one of those that are, that are very, very rich that we can take and make practical application to, and it just speaks for itself so clearly. 2 Samuel chapter 16 verse 5. And when King David came to Bahurim, behold, there came out a man of the fa family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came forth and cursed still as he came. And as he cast stones at David, and all the servants of King David, and all the people, and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloody man, you man of Belial. Some translations say you, you scoundrel. Verse 8. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whom stead you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. And behold, you are taken in mischief, because you are a bloody man or a bloodthirsty man. Then said Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head." And the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? So let him uh, curse, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore have you done so? David said to Abishai and to all the servants, Behold, my son, which came forth of my bow, seeks my life. How much, talking about Absalom, by the way. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Leave him alone, let him curse, for the Lord has bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look upon my affliction, and the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went by the way, Shimei went along on the hillside over against him and cursed as he went and threw stones and threw dust. And the king and all the people that were with him came weary and refreshed themselves there. So may God add his blessings to the reading of his word today as we look at unforgettable foes. If you were with us last Sunday morning, I spoke from chapter number 15 uh, as we looked at a number of different friends that we called unforgettable friends, men who came alongside David when he needed some encouragement and he needed some help in a very difficult season of his life. There was a man named Ittai the Gittite. We call him the timely friend. In fact, that's what his name Ittai means, timely. At just the right time, in just the right way, at just the right place, God brought Ittai the Gittite, a timely friend, to help David through a very difficult, painful, sorrowful, depressed season of his life. And then also we saw there were two priests by the names of Zadok and Abathar. They were Levites, meaning they were David's believing friends. And they wanted to make sure that David kept the faith and that he remained close to the presence of God. And then we saw his faithful friend, a man by the name of Hush Hushai the Archite. 
Here was a friend who said to David, wherever you go, I'm going to be by your side. He was a faithful friend. He says to David, who was now in in exile, David, if you come back to the throne, I'll be there with you. If you never come back to the throne, I'm still going to be with you. If you die in the wilderness, David, I'm still going to be with you. So here was a faithful friend that walked through the struggles of life with David. We all need unforgettable friends. And we all need to be a friend to others who are hurting. All of those friends that we looked at last Sunday pointed us to one friend who is the best friend that a person could ever have, the Lord Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 15, I have not called you servants, but I have called you my friends. And then we kind of concluded with that song, what a friend we have in Jesus. All of our sins and griefs to bear. Just as David had some unforgettable friends, he also had some unforgettable foes. Just as he had those who were loyal to him and who loved him, he also had some that we would title foes who sought his demise and who hated him. And what we want to do for the next little while today is I want to look at one of these foes of David and uncover some principles that will help us deal with foes that you and I may face in life. We know, of course, that Jesus said we're to love our foes or our enemies, that we're to pray for our enemies, that we're to bless those who hate us and those who curse us and those who despitefully use us. We know all of that, but listen, it's a whole lot easier said been done. Amen, church? It's a whole lot easier to leave that print on the page than it is to take it off the page and put it in our lives and see those folk who are foes or those who want nothing but the worst for us and to extend love and grace and mercy to them. That's not easy to do. Just to give you a little background from where we came from the last week or two, David has now come full circle He's on the run again. The first time he was running was from King Saul. Now he's running from his own son, Absalom. In chapter 15, it leaves us where David has now vacated the throne. He's on his way out of town, headed to the wilderness to try to escape for his life. And chapter 15 leaves us with these words, that David stopped at the last house in Jerusalem. He was at the last house. He was at the last road. He was ready to go off into the wilderness because his son Absalom had stolen the hearts of the people. The people were now loyal to Absalom, and David was basically being run out of town. Now listen, his dream was to build the temple in Jerusalem. His dream was to have a permanent place for the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God among the Jewish people. But now as he is forced out of the city, he looks back over his shoulder at the skylight of that beautiful city of Jerusalem and he thinks about what could have been. He thinks about the possibilities that would have been there to have a people for God, a home for the presence of God, and to have that beautiful temple from there. But instead, David is forced out of town. He's lost his job. He's lost his family. He's lost his wealth. He's lost his, his, just about everything that you could imagine. David has now been stripped of it. And he's running outside this city to escape for his life. David had sown to the wind 
and now he's reaping the whirlwind. For 40 years, King Saul had ruled as Israel's first king. He started out with good motives and as a good man and was leading the country in the right way. But after a while, Saul became paranoid and arrogant and prideful. And the more prideful and arrogant he became, the less effective he became for God as the king of Israel. And God eventually says to King Saul, I'm going to rip the kingdom from your hand and give it to another. And that's exactly what the Lord does. He takes the kingdom from Saul, and David is now anointed as the new king of Israel. The problem was this. There were Saul loyalists who did not want David to be the king. There were those who were in the camp of King Saul, particularly in Saul's family, who despised David and despised the thoughts that David would replace King Saul and be the next king of Israel, and they were working against that. In fact, one of them's name is the guy that we just read about in this narrative, and his name is Shimei. His name means famous And perhaps this man wanted to be well-known throughout the territory. And I'm telling you, when David comes to power, and when David loses the power to Absalom and is forced out into the wilderness, he runs face-to-face with this Shimei, this foe, this man who rejected David and resented him for being on the throne. All of us, from time to time, we will run into those Shimeis, those who resent us or those who may not like us. And the way that you have to handle Shimeis, let me give you a few principles to live by. Number one is we have to look above and let God give us strength for the journey. Listen, you can't make people respond to you the way that we would want them to respond to us. We can't make people feel toward us the way we would want everyone to feel toward us. Everyone wants universal acceptance. No one gets universal acceptance, right? Here is this man Shimei, and his primary purpose now is to make David, David's life miserable. And what you have to do when you encounter somebody like that is we have to look above, meaning we have to keep our eyes on the Lord and let God strengthen our journey. Notice how this story unfolds in verse 5. When the king David came to Baharim, behold, there came out a man of the family. Here he is. He was of the house of Saul. Where was his loyalties? His loyalty was to King Saul, who has now passed away, was killed in battle. This guy's name was Shimei, the son of Gera. Now notice, this is not something that you want to be known for in the Bible. The first time that this man appears in the scriptures, now there were a number of different Shimeis, but this guy here Really, the first primary time you see him, look how he appears. He came forth and he cursed as he came. Now, you never want to be known by that. You never want that to be your legacy. But here was a man who lived in this village east of Jerusalem. And when David leaves Jerusalem running for his life, he runs right smack dab into this man, Shimei. And Shimei is not pleased at all about David having been king. And what he does is now since David is no longer on the throne and he's somewhat powerless, he is really coming after David with like nobody's business. He is cursing him, the Bible says. And if you can just plant yourself in that scene, 
As David comes down into that Jordan Valley, into that wilderness, that they're on the ridgeline, he sees this shadow of this man who's hurling insults, and he hears him long before he sees him. And he could hear from this ridgeline, this man cupping his hands over his mouth, and he's saying things like, David, you dirty, low-down, no-good scoundrel. And man, he is letting him have it with everything that he's got. And David looks up there, and sure enough, there's Shimei. In fact, later in the text, what you find is as David moves through the Jordan Valley, Shimei kind of moves parallel along the ridge, and he continues to yell at him and curse at him and hurl insults at him and, and hurl all kind of obscenities that you could possibly imagine. In fact, go to verse number 6. Not just talking and hurling insults verbally, but he says he threw stones at David. And the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men on his right hand and on his left hand. He's like, David, I have no pity for you. I don't feel sorry for you out here running for your life. You'll find no sympathy for me, King David. And I can just see him as he picks up these rocks and he's hurling these rocks and he's throwing these stones at David. Now listen, Shimei would have never been this brave and this bold if David was still on the throne, would he? But now that David's lost his power, Shimei is emboldened by that. And he's happy that David has now lost his power. What is it that made Shimei so angry? Well, he believes that David is responsible for King Saul's death. David wasn't responsible for his death. In fact, David was loyal to Saul the entirety of the time that he knew him. Saul tried to kill David on a number of occasions, even threw his javelin at him and tried to pin him to the wall. But David was always faithful to King Saul. And he said, touch not mine anointed, neither do my, my prophets any harm. And David never reached out one time to harm King Saul. But yet Shimei doesn't think that. Or he doesn't care about that. He is convinced that David has something to do with King Saul's death. And now, as David is moving through the Jordan Valley, Shimei is really letting him have it. He's calling him a bum, and he's calling him a murderer, and he's calling him a, a low life. Now, maybe you're here and you're thinking, listen, if I just take the high road when my, when my foes and my critics come, that eventually they'll just quit. Sometimes Shimei's don't quit. If you go down to verse number 13, look at this. As David and his men went by the way, Shimei went along on the hillside over against him. He cursed as he went. Look at this. He threw stones and he threw dirt. This man is a sight, right? This man has made a fool out of himself. He's hurling insults. He's throwing rocks and he throw, he's throwing dirt. He's just having a fit. In the Bible days... Throwing dirt was a picture of saying, I wish you were dead, like the dirt that would cover your grave. And there on that hillside, he's throwing dirt, and he's throwing rocks, and he's hurling insults, and he's just expressing his disapproval and his dislike for King David as he's pelting him with rocks. Wouldn't you like to see this on video, right? And to watch this man have this meltdown right there in Baharim. Sometimes people will throw rocks at you. Sometimes people will throw dirt at you. We call it mudslinging, right? And sometimes you'll be the target of somebody's rock throwing or somebody's mudslinging. School teachers 
get rocks thrown sometimes and mud slung at them. Law enforcement personnel, sometimes they face rock throwers and mud slingers. Even in church, sometimes we face rock throwers and mud slingers in life. I was talking to a, a person just not more than two days ago who used to pastor years and years ago who said, oh, we no longer are in the ministry because we were tired of the criticism. One man said this, criticism usually comes from those who are the least qualified to give it, and it frequently comes in the form that is least helpful to us. Yeah, down at the office, there will be drama where you work, and there will be rock throwers there, and there will be mudslingers there. Don't be one of them. Down at the plant, where you earn your living, there will be rock throwers there, and there will be mudslingers there as well. When those rocks are hurled your way, and, and I don't want to dismiss this, but when rock throwers and mudslingers come your way, try your best not to take that personally. You say, Pastor Dodd, that's ludicrous. How could you not take it personally if somebody is attacking your character, if someone's attacking your family, if someone is slinging mud at you and, and cursing at you or saying things about you that are not true? I know that it runs against everything that is in our human nature. But listen, when Jesus was upon the cross of Calvary, the Bible said they hurled insults at him. You remember this? That they sat down and they wagged their heads while he was writhing in anguish and pain and said, come on down from the cross if you're really who you say you are. And Jesus' response was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In other words, he was looking above. And he was keeping his eyes on the Lord and say, Lord, strengthen me for this journey. And when we feel like giving it back and, and retaliating and getting even, what we have to do is live on a different plane and keep our eyes above and look above and say, Lord, I want you to give me the strength that I need for this journey of life when I face these foes. Remind yourself that every rock thrower, every mudslinger, is just an individual that is being used by the devil to get under your skin. Now think about that. Every, every foe that comes into my life or your life, ultimately what is happening, it is the devil who will use that person to annoy you or to make you miserable. Listen to what Paul said in the book of Ephesians. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle not against the shimmy eyes of this world. Those are not our enemies. What does he say? We wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness in the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. So when those foes come, what we have to do is keep our eyes focused above and let God give us the strength for the journey. Go back to verse number 7 and notice how this unfolds. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloody man. One translation says, Get out of here, you, you murderer. You scoundrel. In other words, he's kicking him while he's down. It's one thing to go through a bad, tough season in your life, but it makes it even worse when somebody kicks you when you're down, doesn't it? David's lost his throne, his family, his wealth, everything that he had. He was about as low as a person could go. And now with his tail between his legs, he's leaving the city of Jerusalem, comes to the very last house before he heads off into the wilderness, and he runs into this Shimei who gives him what for as he's throwing dirt, and throwing rocks, 
and slinging mud and hurling insult after insult after insult, celebrating David's anguish. You know, words have meaning, and words hurt. Words hurt. Do you know the Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue? Moms and dads, let's be very careful with the words that we use when we raise our children because words can have a lasting impression upon our children. Husbands, let's be very careful about the words we use when we talk to our wives because words can sting and words can hurt and words can reach way down into a person's heart and they carry those words with them for a long time. Wives, be very careful about the words you use to your husband because words do matter and words hurt. I'm sure all of you here have heard of Twitter. I'm not on Twitter, but I do know a little bit about how it works. You get a number of characters that you can, um, can use, and you can say basically whatever you want to say about whatever you want to say a, about, and, and uh, depending on how many followers you have, you know, that's how far your tweet goes out, I guess is how that is. Um, uh, in fact, I said at the first service this morning that when you watch the news, a great deal of the news nowadays is not just the report of an incident, but it is what everybody else tweeted about what that incident was about. So-and-so said this, this movie star said that, this athlete said this about this, and it is like everybody is just in everybody's business. And uh, Twitter has now came out with a feature on Twitter, and I know this because I read an article, not because I have Twitter, not that there's anything wrong with Twitter. But uh, the article basically says this, it has a feature now that catches mean tweets before you send them. And that uh, once you write a, a tweet, if it's a very, not a very nice tweet, it is detected before you send it, and the prompt reads this, do you want to review this before tweeting? And the user is presented with three choices. Tweet it, edit it, or delete it. And according to Twitter, when prompted, 34% of people revised their initial reply or decided not to send it at all. After they were first prompted, users composed, or composed about 11% fewer offensive replies in the future, and they were also less likely to receive negative replies. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. With, with our words, we can bless somebody, the Bible says, or with our words, we can curse somebody and we can tear them down. Shimei was doing that to David as he was at the lowest point in his life. You scoundrel, you dirty dog, you this, you that. Listen to what James 3 says. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us and they turn about their whole body. The ships, which though they are great, and driven of fierce winds, yet they're turned about with a very small rudder. Even the tongue is a little member, and it boasts great things. But what a great matter a little fire kindles. The tongue, James Wright, is a fire, a world of iniquity. It defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. For every kind of beast, of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and has been tamed of mankind. Listen, but no man can tame the tongue. 
It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless God, and with it, with it we curse men. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so, is what James said. It has been said that our heart is the well, and our tongue is a bucket that reaches down into the well, and it brings up what is down there. And here for Shimei, he blamed David for Saul's death. And he wasn't going to let him forget it, though David was innocent of that. He was guilty of other things, but he was innocent of that. And Shimei is cursing him and throwing rocks at him and throwing dirt at him. And what David has to do, which is what you and I have to do, is we look above all of that and keep our eyes on the Lord and say, God, you just give me strength in this Christian journey that I'm on. But the second thing that David says that we're to do is to look ahead and wait for God's timing. Now, this is so vital. When you face a foe, we look ahead and we wait for God's timing. We want God to take care of our foes now, to get them before we go to bed at night and go ahead and mop it up. But God's ways are not our ways. God's timing is not our timing. And what we have to do when we deal with unforgettable foes is we have to look ahead and wait for God's timing. Go to verse number 8. The Lord hath returned upon thee. This is what Shimei is saying to, to David. The Lord has returned upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom to the hand of Absalom your son. And behold, you are taken in mischief because you are bloodthirsty. Just insult after insult after insult. He says, David, God's getting you back. God's repaying you for getting Saul off the throne and being responsible for King Saul's death, and you're getting what you deserve. Again, let me say, David was always loyal to Saul. The only thing that he ever did towards Saul, and he later felt bad about it, was he cut off a portion of Saul's skirt. You remember that? A bottom of his robe. And then David felt bad about that, but he never put his hand on Saul. In fact, it was the other way around. Saul was chasing David, and Saul was trying to kill David. But do you think Shimei cared one bit about that? No. He was enraged. Now listen carefully. If you're listening, say amen. Shimei was so angry at David that he didn't care really what the facts were. He didn't care what actually happened. What he cared about was what he thought happened. And he allows his emotions to, emotions to drive his remarks now. He allows his emotions to drive his rock throwing. And he's not motivated by facts. He's motivated by maybe what he heard happened. He's motivated by what he thought happened or maybe just by what he assumed happened. But it allowed his emotions to get the best of him. And now he is cursing and throwing rocks and slinging mud. And now David has a soldier next to him that's not going to take it. Look in verse 9. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, this is David's sister, by the way, Zeruiah, which makes Abishai David's nephew. And he was also a valiant warrior and a soldier. Look what Abishai says, verse 9. Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray, and take his head off. And everybody needs an Abishai in their life, don't they? I'll just go clean up that guy. 
I'll just go take his head off. Eugene Peterson in the message says, this mangy dog can't insult my master, the king. Let me go over and cut off his head. That's the temptation. I think if I'd have been David, I'd have said, get him, right? Go get him, Abishai. But that's not what David does. If you look in verse 10, the king said, what have I to do with you, you son of Zeruiah? Let him curse, because the Lord has said, curse David. Who shall then say, what have you done so? In other words, David is saying this to Abishai, no, don't touch him. I know that you're as mad as he is right now for being insulted, but if you go over there and you handle things with a sword, that's the work of the flesh, and we're not going to do God's work through the work of the flesh. You just let him be, let him punch himself out, just let him do what he's going to do. He says, we're going to look beyond that. We're going to look above, and we're going to keep our eyes on the Lord and God to strengthen us. And we're going to look beyond what he's doing right now, and we're going to wait for God's timing. And in God's timing, God will take care of that. Look in verse 11. David said to Abishai and to all the servants, Behold my son, which came forth out of my bowels, talking about Absalom, seeks my life. How much more... This thing may be that this Benjamite would do. Remember, King Saul was a Benjamite. That's where, uh, where um, Shemiah, Shimei is from. And he said, leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has bidden him. Now, I don't want to read something into the text that's not there, but I think David is saying this to Abishai. Leave Shimei alone because, number one, he's still grieving King Saul's death. Number two, he thinks I had something to do with it. And when he is feeling those kind of enraged feelings, you can't talk him down off of that ledge at this moment. So just leave him alone, let it play out. And my role, he says, is to look beyond that and wait on God's timing. Sure, the temptation is to cut his head off. The temptation is to go get him. But David said, no, we're going to look up and be strengthened. We're going to look beyond that, and we're going to... Wait for God's time. And one of my favorite biblical personalities in the Old Testament certainly is Joseph. You'll never find a guy who went through any more than Joseph did and lived to tell about it. Think about it. When he was a teenager, his brothers hated him and threw him in a cistern. They sat down around the mouth of that well. They had lunch to try to determine what they're going to do with him. Some of them said, let's kill him. Reuben, I think it was, that said, no, let's don't kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. And they took the brother out of the well. And when a caravan of Ishmaelite travelers were headed to Egypt, they came passing through. They sold the brother Joseph into slavery. And Joseph is now tied to a wagon. And he's making that long walk to Egypt. And he's thinking to himself, i got to look beyond this. And i got to wait for God's time and for God to come through. He gets to Egypt, and through a series of events, he becomes the houseboy in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife makes a false accusation against him, and Joseph ends up in the prison, the stench of an Egyptian prison. And while he's down there in that prison, he thinks to himself, I've got I've to look beyond this, and I've got to wait for God's timing. God's up to something. I know that God's in control. doesn't look like it being roped to a wagon and led off into Egypt. It doesn't look like God's in control to be in the stench of, a, of an Egyptian prison. But he's like, I know that God's in control. 
And then you'll remember when, when Joseph had made the bargain with the cupbearer, and he says, if you get out of prison, remember me and tell the king that I was able to interpret your dream. And when the cupbearer finally gets out of prison, another two years goes by that Joseph is still in the dungeon where the cupbearer had forgotten about him. And I wonder how many times Joseph thought, i got to look past this. i got to look beyond it. Because God's in control and he's up to something. I'm just not sure what it is. And then finally, he is remembered and he's brought out of the dungeon. Joseph is made the prime minister in Egypt. The second in charge to Pharaoh in charge of the distribution of grain during a time of famine. Now listen carefully. And during the great famine, people all over came to Egypt where they had stored Grain for the past seven years preparing for this famine. And lo and behold, as Joseph is in charge of the grain distribution, who are the guys that appear before him? And they don't recognize Joseph. It's his brothers that had threw him in the well years and years and years ago. And they don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them. And here they are. They come with their hat in the hand, and they're like, You know, we just need a little bit of grain to get us through. Joseph could have said, you dirty, no good dogs, I'll cut your head off. Or I'll take care of you. But that's not what he did. When he finally revealed that he was their brother whom they thought that they had killed, he said this, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. What you meant for evil, God meant it for good. Isn't that a wonderful thing? All that the foes could bring against me, Joseph said, I was able to look beyond that and know that God was in control. And every bit of evil that a foe would bring into my life, God was going to turn it around. And indeed, God did turn it around and used Joseph to save the entirety of his family. That's just the way God works. In the book of uh, Romans, the Apostle Paul says, all things work together for good. You mean being sold into slavery? Being sold into slavery. All things work together for good. You mean being the object of of a false accusation by Potiphar's wife and being put in prison? All things work together for good to those who love God and for those who are the called according to His purpose. I can't explain how God does that, but He does take the worst of the worst situations, doesn't He? And He can turn those around for our good and for His glory. Now look in verse 12 very quickly. David says, it may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will requite me good for this cursing. In other words, maybe that I'm enduring this barrage of insults that Shimei is giving me. Maybe God will use that to my benefit somehow. Look in verse number, uh, go back down to verse 13. And David and his men went by the way. Shimei went on along the hillside over against them. And he cursed, and he went and threw stones. One translation says, as David and his men continued down the road. That is, as they just continue their journey, Shimei is going parallel along the ridge, and he won't stop. Cursing, throwing rocks, throwing dirt. And David says, no, don't bother him. Let him be. Verse 14, and the king and his people that were with him came weary, and they refreshed themselves. In other words, they were looking above and asked God to give them strength. They were looking beyond and uh, waiting on God's timing. And then finally, I want you to notice that you look not just above and ahead, but you look afresh 
and embrace the words of Jesus. What happened to Shimei? I wish I could tell you that he changed his ways, but seldom do Shimei's change. Ultimately, we won't read it for the sake of time, but in the book of Kings, the Bible says that Shimei was executed, not by David, but later on under the reign of King Solomon. Look at how David responds to this man again. Turn over just a couple of pages, and we're going to bring this to a close, to chapter 19. When you get to chapter 19, my, my, how things have changed now. In those two chapters, Absalom is now dead. David, who was forced in exile in the wilderness, has now is on his way back to Jerusalem to take the throne back. He now has the power, the rights, the privileges that the king of Israel and only the king of Israel would possess. And look what happens in verse 18. There went over a ferry boat to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. Now look, as he's coming back to Jerusalem, and here he meets good old Shimei. Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was come over to Jordan, and he said to the king, don't, don't be angry with me, is what he is saying. Don't remember all that I did in the day that you went out of Jerusalem, that you should, that you should take it to heart. Can you believe what he's saying? Oh, David, don't, don't let that bother you. I didn't really mean all of that stuff. See, he was really emboldened when he thought David was whipped. But now that David's king, he's groveling. Verse 20, for your servant does know that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I am come first this day out of the house of Joseph to go down and meet my Lord the king. I'm the first one who's going to welcome you back, he says. Verse 21, but Abishai, the son of Zerariah, the, uh, answered and said, shall not, this is good old Abishai who was going to cut his head off while ago, remember? Shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, What have I to do with you that you would be an adversary to me, that there be any man that put to death this day in Israel? For do I not know that I'm the king over Israel? And therefore the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king swear unto him. What does David do? He could have had Shimei killed. But instead, he showed mercy. He showed mercy. When we have those unforgettable foes, yes, it is important to look above and let God strengthen us for the journey and to look ahead and wait on God's timing. But we also have to look afresh and trust the words of Jesus. What do you think Jesus would say about a scene like this? When I was down, he kicked me. When I was on my back, he made it worse. That was David's feelings. And David could have had him beheaded. But listen, David said, Shimei, I'm not going to kill you. I'm instead going to show you mercy. What, let me ask you, what would you have done? What would you have done? David shows mercy. Mercy is defined as undeserved forgiveness. Undeserved compassion, undeserved kindness. Mercy means you are guilty, but the punishment has been withheld. And here's what Jesus says about that. In Matthew's gospel, on the Sermon on the Mount, we call it the Beatitudes. And Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall, 
Finish that verse for me. What does it say? Obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful when those unforgettable foes curse you and throw rocks and sling mud. Blessed are the merciful who is able to look above and ask God to strengthen you and to look ahead and wait on God to wrap everything up and to look afresh and say, I'm going to live my life based on what Jesus said. Blessed are the merciful for we'll obtain mercy. It's not a salvation verse. It's a blessing verse. In fact, all of the Beatitudes, all of the Beatitudes are what Jesus speaks into our lives. This is what brings God's blessings. And God's blessings are brought into our lives when we show mercy to people who don't deserve mercy. If you deserve it, it's not mercy anyway, right? And Jesus said, if you demonstrate mercy, you open yourself up to receive the many, many blessings of God. Listen, anybody can retaliate. Anybody can be an Abishai and say, I'm going to take off their head. But it takes grace to give mercy. You remember, as we close, you remember in the Old Testament when the priest went into the Holy of Holies uh, on Yom Kippur to offer up atonement for the sin of the people. He would take lamb's blood and he would go to the Ark of the Covenant and he would pour it on this golden lid on top of the Ark of the Covenant. You know what that golden lid was called? The mercy seat. And it was right there where punishment for sin would be atoned for. And those sins would be covered. The Bible says about Jesus that he was rich in mercy. That he is the propitiation for our sins. It really means he is the atonement. Jesus is the mercy seat. He has taken all of our punishment. And he has given to us all of his grace. Who, who are we? when these unforgettable foes come into our lives, that we dare withhold mercy after we have been granted so much. Our role, look above, get God to strengthen you. Look ahead, wait on God's timing and let him work it out and look afresh on the inside and model what Jesus said. Blessed are the merciful. It's easy when you've got unforgettable friends, not so easy when it's unforgettable foes. But blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. Shall we pray together?